Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. I'd like to talk tonight about the issue of effort in practice. And in particular, I want to explore it with the attitude of balance, balance of effort. Balance is a very key word in all of the the teachings of the Buddha. The middle path between two extremes, this is what he discovered. It's the Eightfold Path, the question of of balance between self-indulgence or self-mortification, the optimal balance that can lead to awakening. And a number of the lists also are about balance, like the five faculties, different faculties, balanced faith, needing to be balanced by wisdom, or the seven factors of enlightenment. There are some energizing qualities balanced by some stilling qualities. And even the, um, the idea of equanimity as the uh, antecedent to liberation, when the mind and the heart are in perfect balance, then uh, deep understanding arises. And so, looking at this question of effort, also, balance is the key. And hopefully, uh, the people who are striving and overachieving will hear that they can just lighten up a bit. And the people who are getting pretty laid back can hear they can rev it up a bit and not vice versa. (coughs) So listen to what's true for you and bring your practice into balance. It's important to understand uh, in this question of effort, as in most of the aspects of teachings, that there's no one right way. It's not like, oh, this is how much you're supposed to do it. Because we're a, a dynamic, changing system of energy, at different times our effort will look different and be skillful. And you hear very different messages from from teachers. Even the same teacher can tell you very different instructions from one day to the next. You know, just relax, just take it easy. Come on, go out there and get them. You know, um, and it can be confusing. And you can have a a corroboration for any stance that that you're looking for if you look at the the scriptures from the heroic effort side. If you ever study with with the Burmese masters, you know, these guys are serious. You know, like Upandita, who most of us, all of us have have studied with, who the one phrase that would stick in my mind is um, when I first sat with him just at at the start of a three-month retreat, uh, which I entered with some trepidation, abandon all concern for the body. That was his, one of his opening <laughs> remarks. <you know. laughs> oh, okay. 
Now, if your leg is falling off, be mindful. Just watch it go. <laughs> he didn't quite say that, but that was the, the idea. Or uh, Lady Sayadaw, great Burmese master from uh, last century, who said that famous line, practice like your hair is on fire. <clears throat> That'll get you going. A bit, you know? Or even the Buddha, who was of the warrior caste and a lot of the uh, the images that come down from his teachings are you know, very um, fierce, uh, battle-like. You know, like Sylvia had mentioned, strive on diligently, and she put it so beautifully. Yes, it's 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 good to strive. It's good to feel that that intention. But sometimes that message can be heard very different, especially as we usually think of the word striving, you know, getting more out of, out of it than, uh, than we can, just squeezing every last drop out. <clears throat> this is from uh, Tibetan, Tibetan story, Milarepa. You might, I'm sure you've heard of Milarepa, the, the greatest of all Tibetan yogis. Um, <clears throat> when... Uh, his student, Gampopa, who uh, Guy had quoted those, those four supplications uh, a couple of nights ago, uh, was it last night, saying um, Gampopa, Gampopa was, was leaving Milarepa, finally. The devoted physician monk, Gampopa, who loved his teacher dearly, uh, after many years had to part from him, and he asked for one final teaching one instruction that he could carry away with him. At first, Milarepa seemed reluctant. <clears throat> then, as Gampopa started on his way, crossing the narrow stream that parted him from his master, Milarepa shouted out, Hey, Dr. Monk, I have one very profound secret instruction. It is too precious to give away to just anyone. As Gampopa joyfully looked back to receive this last teaching from his beloved guru, Milarepa turned around and bent over, pulling up his flimsy cotton robe. <laughs> Milarepa's buttocks were as calloused and pockmarked as a horse's hoof, toughened from all those hours and years spent in seated meditation on hard rock. Then Milarepa shouted, that is my final teaching, my heart, son. <laughs> Just do it. You know. <clears throat> Maybe that was the origin, of the origin of the Nike commercial. Just do it. Heroic effort. And I know how to practice that way. And I just want to put out to you, if that is inspiring, it has a tremendous power, a tremendous value. If you can enter into that spirit with um, a light heart. That's the thing to remember. You know, so you don't tie yourself up into knots trying to do better and better. But with that full-hearted intention, it's very, very inspiring. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about it um, in a little while. On the other side, there's the, the spacious and relaxed and... Um, easy approach. Manindraji, who is uh, uh, somebody very special for me, he was Joseph's teacher and also uh, somebody who I was very 
inspired by. <clears throat> He's still around. Uh, but his main instruction was simple and easy, simple and easy. Just keep the whole practice simple and easy. I loved hearing that. Uh, or the third Zen patriarch saying, just let things be in their own way and there'll be neither coming nor going. I mean, that's, that's so. When you're not messing around with the moment and there's an ease that opens up to it, everything becomes revealed. Buddhadasa, the, the great Theravadan monk, saying, nothing to do, nothing to be, nothing to have. It's wonderful. Or again from the Tibetan, just on the other side of the coin, from uh, Gendon Rinpoche, happiness cannot be found through great effort and willpower, but is already here in relaxation and letting go. Wanting to grasp the ungraspable, you exhaust yourself in vain. As soon as you relax this grasping, space is here, open, inviting, and comfortable. Wonderful teaching. And it's true. The paradox is that both of these are true. The first strategy has a great sense of doing of putting your whole heart into the meditation and cultivating until there is um, a deep awakening. The second is that of just opening up and receiving the moment, complete non-doing. And when you think about it, when you're truly here in the moment, there's nothing that you have to make happen to make it more of a moment. The thing is, it takes a lot of commitment and effort and intention to get here in the moment in order to just relax and open up to it. You can't just take somebody off the street and say, just sit here and don't do anything and let the universe reveal itself to you. Yeah, right. What is this guy talking about? Because we don't even know what it's like to land in the present moment until we've done some practice. Except for little glimpses from time to time. But they're very fleeting and hard to, uh, hard to maintain and hard to have the depth of realization usually that, um, that all that preparation can make available. So, with that Tibetan nothing to do or spaces here, it requires a hundred thousand prostrations and mantra recitations and hand mudra gestures as the preliminary practices before one is ready to hear these teachings. Don't have to do anything. That's the secret all along. That preparation is essential. But once you're here, just being here, any doing is more a state of becoming and takes you out of just this moment. So I just invite us all to, for a moment, let ourselves relax deeply, not trying to make anything happen and just opening up with an ease and a presence to what's happening right now. 
Just feeling life happening through you, around you. You feel how how easy that is. That's it. But it's not so easy to hang out there for a long time. What we do here takes tremendous intention and effort. And this this is the balance between this doing and then being. The image that the Buddha gave of balance, particularly in relationship to effort, as many of you have heard, is that of tuning a string on an instrument. If you tune it too tight, you don't get the right note. And if you tune it too loose, you don't get the desired pitch. But just the right amount of tension and you have the result you're looking for. And this is a good analogy for us in our practice. If we are too tight, this is not the way to open up with clarity to the moment. And we need to relax a bit. And if we're too laid back and loose, well, if I'm mindful, I'm mindful. If I'm not, big deal. You know, Maybe it'll happen today. That won't get you far. And so it's time to, to renew your intention and commitment. So, for me, the, uh, the spirit that I enter my own retreats, silent uh, intensive practice, is a balance between a wholehearted effort and at the same time keeping things light, bringing a sense of ease to the process. And you can start to check in and see when things are overboard in one direction or another, particularly with that tightness, if you have a tendency for that, checking in with your body, actually for both ends of the spectrum, body is a good place to check in, but particularly with tightness, if you're feeling contracted, feeling your shoulders or your jaw or, or your body tightening up because you're trying so hard to do it right, this is a good indication. Ah, time to just ease off a bit. Or if you're finding your mind struggling around and around and not thinking that you're doing it well enough, time to just relax. And some telltale signs. If you feel like you're in a prison, that's a, a clue. Yeah. <laughs> if you feel like you're going crazy, okay, time to lighten up a bit. Yeah. If you can't breathe, (laughs) because you're watching it so intently. And there are things that you can do when that is the case. Going for a more natural walk, being out in nature brings about a real spaciousness. If you're on the cushion and things are getting really tight and you don't know how to deal with something, whether it's emotion or... um, you know, a sensation, just moving out into sounds and creating a sense of space. There's no controlling the sounds, there's no holding on to them, and they're vast. That brings about a sense of ease. 
maybe going for a cup of tea to just cool out for a moment. That can be a very skillful thing to do. Or doing some stretching, feeling your body getting grounded. Or even lying down at times. However, you've got to be careful. If you're taking five walks during the day, you know, or all of a sudden you become a super hygiene freak and want to brush your teeth for the seventh time today, you know, you have to go back to your room and brush your teeth or take care of stuff, you know, then you know, maybe you're you know, avoiding something there. Or maybe you're just uh, taking it a bit too easy. Um, so... There's no right way. It's just being very honest with what your experience is. This is from Ajahn Sumedho. He said, uh, In my first years with Ajahn Chah, I used to be very serious about meditation sometimes. I really got much too grim and solemn about myself. I would lose all sense of humor and just get dead serious. He wrote this in capital letters, dead serious. All dried up like an old twig. I would put forth a lot of effort, but it would be so strung up and unpleasant thinking, I've got to meditate, I've got to, I've got to do this, I'm too lazy. I felt such terrible guilt if I wasn't meditating all the time. A grim, joyless state of mind. So I watched that, meditating on myself as a dried stick. Sometimes we get too serious about everything, totally lacking in joy and happiness, no sense of humor. We just repress everything. So gladden the mind at those times. Be relaxed and at ease, taking all the time in the world without the pressure of having to do anything, achieve anything important, nothing special, nothing to attain, no big deal. You know, one of the definitions of right effort, the classical definition, are the four right efforts, which two of which have to do with um, diminishing or abandoning unwholesome states by either mindfulness or uh, skillful means or guarding the sense doors, and two have to do with developing wholesome states. So when you're feeling ease and you're feeling calm or you're feeling joy, this is very skillful, not just you know, indulging, just letting yourself feel that ease. It brings about a spaciousness of heart and it gains, gives you inspiration to practice. So this is another way to get some space and um, arouse the, the effort. The important thing, one important thing to not forget about effort is that it's very tricky and dangerous to equate what's happening with how your effort is. If you're finding yourself getting lost or feeling down or feeling confused or uh, it's or not mindful as much as you'd like. Notice any tendency that you have to say, "Oh, I'm not doing it good enough," because you have no control over what's happening, none at all. 
the only thing you have some input in is the sincere intention to be here as best you can for just what's happening. And the idea or ideas that you might have about good practice can get you into trouble. You know, well, if I'm really doing it well, um, I won't have many thoughts or maybe even no thoughts. When I first started this practice, I, I thought if I really was doing it right, there'd be this giant vacuum cleaner that would just come and suck all my thoughts away. That's not how it works. And in fact, as a few people have, have reported as they've started to quiet down, as you get quieter and quieter, you start to discover whole layers and realms of mental activity that you never knew were there. Now, that can be very... Um, jarring and humbling. You think, oh my goodness, I was, I'm thinking more than I was when I started this. But actually, you're seeing those levels of mental activity that you usually aren't in touch with. So it's very deceiving if you have some kind of interpretation on your experience. Or if you have the idea, oh, well, if I'm really doing it well, you know, I'm going to have a real catharsis or emotional release, you know, and really work on something valuable, you know, because you might hear somebody nearby crying. You know, the first few years in retreat, you know, people around me were crying and I was just, you know, watching my breath or, you know, doing what I was doing and I was thinking, you know, there's something I'm missing here. I remember going to, to Joseph, my teacher, saying, you know, I don't know. I, I'm not having these releases, and I, you know, I, I think there's a whole lot inside there I must be avoiding. You know? And he said, "Don't go looking for trouble. It'll find you soon enough." <laughs> it did too, but it all happens in its own time. Or you might be the kind who's gotten a lot of emotional releases and thinking, "God, if I could just enough with these emotions. If I just stop the emotions and just..." be here, you know. And that's not necessarily an indication of good practice either because the natural um, cycles of practice open us up to different parts of ourselves and we get in touch with very deep places that need to, to be released in their own time. So letting go of your agenda is tremendously helpful and along those lines, I would encourage you, particularly if you have a tendency to evaluate what is going on, let go of the interpretation. Let go of analyzing whatever is happening. Just be here as best you can. And I'll, I share with you a, um, a letter from somebody who tried to analyze and was really giving herself a, a hard time on uh, this is on her first retreat and it took a while but towards the end of the retreat she she had a very um, beautiful opening and understanding and she says the one thing that is indelibly in my brain is hearing you don't have to figure it out that would never ever register in my brain as an option before And then yesterday, I was walking and struggling in my brain, thinking round and round, and this voice came into my head that said, you don't have to figure it out. 
And I stopped and closed my eyes and asked myself, what is true right now in this moment? And what was true was the rising and falling of my breath and various body sensations coming and going. And the rest will balance itself out in its own time, I thought to myself. And I resumed my walking. What a revelation. It makes things so much simpler, particularly around this question of effort, when you just come back to what's actually happening and not take blame or credit or responsibility in any way for your experience. Rather than thinking in terms of results of what's happening, if you want to get in touch with your effort, it's more a matter of connecting with your sincerity. That is the key. That's the the secret ingredient that you bring to practice. Because out of that sincerity, I mentioned this in the last talk, you plant those seeds of awakening and that those seeds will ripen in their own time. Uh, from uh, Nisargadat Maharaj, I am that. He says, uh, your sincerity will guide you. Devotion to the goal of freedom and perfection will make you abandon all theories and systems and live by wisdom, intelligence, and active love. Whatever, you, whatever name you give it, will or steady purpose or one-pointedness of the mind, you come back to earnestness, sincerity, honesty. When you are in true earnest in this way, you bend every incident, every second of your life to your purpose. So, I'd like to mention a few aspects of cultivating this wholehearted effort and remembering to do it in a spirit of ease and lightness. Things that truly support your practice and that you have some input and some intention in cultivating. One is a spirit of continuity or an intention of continuity. Continuity is truly the key to developing practice. The image that many of you heard that have been, has been really helpful for me is putting a, a tea kettle on the stove to boil. And if you take it off every 30 seconds or so, it won't cook. But if you leave it on the, the stove, even if sometimes the flame is low and sometimes it's higher, after a while, it will cook. And it's the same way with continuity in your practice. So that when the sitting ends, rather than thinking, you know, okay, I really put in my time. Okay, let's, I'll go to the walking in a few minutes, but... Uh, somehow between those two activities, you kind of space out, you don't bring it the same care, you're really doing yourself a disservice for all that work and all that good effort that you put in the sitting. But rather, if when you get up from the sitting, that is done as a meditation, and the whole act of leaving the hall and putting on your shoes is just as sacred an act as the sitting here in the hall, 
And then that moves to the walking, and then the same way coming back to the sitting, or whatever your activity is, going to the bathroom or brushing your teeth. When you do it in that way, the moments of mindfulness build on each other, and you're not taking that kettle off the stove. One thing that can aid in continuity, if you have the temperament for it, and not everybody does, but if you, um, I would encourage you to experiment a bit with mental noting. This is one of the places that it's most helpful and powerful. If you can have a very soft touch with whatever you're doing and just name it like a, like a butterfly landing on flower. Just reaching, touching, turning, pulling. Just everything that you do with an ease and a connection, that continuity of noting, if you do that for one day, you will probably notice a major dramatic shift in, in your practice. And the important thing, again, is it's got to be done softly. Otherwise, you can get really wound up. But rather, it's a whole dance. Each thing that you do is a dance. And when brushing your teeth is as worthy of your attention as sitting here in the hall, um, then your whole practice becomes very full and rich. So continuity is the key. Actually, what I've found is that Although it takes some effort at the beginning, 100% effort is easier in the long run than 80% effort. Because after a while, it builds on itself and things become more interesting. This is uh, from Ajahn Chah. He talks about continuity of effort. He says, the practice which is important is patipada. What is patipada? It is simply all our various activities, standing, walking, sitting, reclining, and everything else done with mindfulness. This is practice. When you're feeling zealous, practice. And then when you feel lazy, Try to continue the practice. If you can't continue at full speed, then do at least half as much. Don't just waste the day away by being lazy and not practicing. This will work against you. Don't think that only sitting with the eyes closed is practice. If you think this way, then quickly change your thinking. Steady practice is having the attitude of practice while standing, walking, sitting, and lying down. Don't think, oh, today is too hot, or today is too cold, or today is... Whatever the day is like, that's just the way it is. When coming out of sitting meditation, don't think that you're coming out of the meditation. Reflect that you're simply changing postures. If you reflect in this way, you will have peace. Wherever you are, you will have this attitude of practice with you constantly, and you will have a steady awareness within yourself. That continuity 
deepens the mindfulness, and this leads to the second secret ingredient of wholehearted effort. As the mindfulness gets stronger, you see more. And when you see more, things are more interesting. And when things become more interesting, then you want to be here more. And so it builds on itself. Whereas the other way is if you are sluggish or lazy, and I don't mean relaxing, I don't mean spacious, but I mean, ah, who cares? Not a skillful spaciousness, but rather not giving that wholehearted effort. Then the mindfulness becomes weaker. It's harder to pay attention. It becomes more frustrating. Things are less interesting unless they have a strong charge to them. And when they become less interesting, you don't want to pay as much attention. And so that builds on itself too. So every single moment counts. It is planting seeds in the direction towards greater mindfulness and interest and awakening or the other way. It's up to you. But that attitude of interest, then everything becomes um, a gift. This is from Gratefulness, the Heart of Prayer by uh, David Steindl Rast, Brother David. No matter how dull or intellectually trapped, trapped we are, surprise is close at hand. Even when our life lacks the surprise of the extraordinary, the ordinary always wants to surprise us afresh. Surprise is the starting point. Through surprise, our inner eyes are opened to the amazing fact that everything is freely given. Nothing at all can be taken for granted. It is a gift. True mindfulness gets that gift aspect of the world into view. When our intellect learns to recognize the gift aspect of the world, our feelings appreciate it, ever wider circles of mindfulness make our world come alive. It's a, it's a wonderful attitude to practice, this element of, or attitude of adventure. Oh, let's take a look. And sometimes at the beginning you might have to pretend that things are interesting. That's okay. You, know, you can act as if the breath were fascinating. Because after a while it actually becomes that way. Or sometimes when I do walking, often when I do walking, just imagining that I'm a baby taking my first steps, just trying to negotiate this body and figuring out what it means to walk, has that element of of freshness. Sometimes when I sit, likewise, I was talking about this with somebody today, just imagining this is your first breath ever. Can you be here for the start of your life? It makes it makes it compelling. Or imagine it's your last breath ever. Probably want to be around for that one, if you could. So having that quality of interest begets your attention, begets mindfulness, which begets more more interest, because you see things more. Another aspect of this wholehearted effort that I would really encourage you to play with, 
is the, the whole notion of playing your edge, you know, getting out of your comfort zone. Sometimes, especially for old students, you know, you know the retreat schedule and the, um, the whole process so well that you, know, you have a nice security in it. Oh yes, one day melts into the next and oh yes, here's the late night sitting. I know that one. I, that's one I can't do. So I think I'll just you know, go, go down now and I'll wake up and start again uh, with real intention in the morning. But not now. You don't know. You don't know what that late night sitting is going to be like. You know? Or waking up in the morning and, you know, well, I think I'll just kind of take it a bit easier now because I know this time of the day, you know, I can't expect too much. And You don't know. And that attitude of playing your edge, of letting go of the imagined limits that you impose on yourself makes it makes it an adventure, really. It takes courage to get out of your comfort zone. But there's lots of different areas that you can take a look at or experiment with. Sleep is one. You know, we we love to sleep, don't we? On retreat, you know that moment it's 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 probably the sweetest moment in the twenty four hours when I'm on retreat, just that moment after I put in a good day's work and I'm just slipping into the covers. You know what that you know that one, right? Poor man's nirvana. <laughs> Gil says the poor man's nirvana. Yeah. yeah. It is ah yes. And it's it's great. And it's something to really be cherished and delight in. But not necessarily to get there sooner than you need to. Huh? <laughs> It'll be there. That moment will be there. I guarantee you, sooner or later. Huh? Or getting out of bed. You know, sometimes you wake up before the bell, you know, and you say, you look at your watch. Oh my God! No. <laughs> Forget that. Uh, time for me to go back. <laughs> that would be just too ridiculous. You know. Four hours sleep, right? you know. or three hours sleep, you know. or five hours sleep, whatever it is for you. Well, it's a very fascinating thing how after a while on retreat, because your mind isn't reacting so much and the, the concentration and the, the mindfulness open up to energy, we have more resources of energy than are usually available to us. I find actually it's one of the most fascinating things and one of the incentives that I have, you know, if the truth be told, um, that makes me want to give every moment to mindfulness because I'm just so fascinated by how little sleep I can go on on retreat, which is so different than my, my daily life. And if you find that you've woken up and it's, you know, two in the morning... Don't worry about it. Just start the practice now. It's wonderful to come in and sit in, in the hall in the wee hours when there's nobody or maybe one or two people around. And if you need to take care of yourself during the day, then you do. You know, you've earned a nap if you're, you know, you're going on 
four or three hours sleep. It's fine. But just see, just, just for, the, for the experiment. Now, this is not to you know, get down on yourself if that's not true for you. Maybe sleep isn't an area that, that works for you to cut down. Or that I, sh- I shouldn't say that works for you, that you find a natural um, um, possibilities of cutting down. For some people, their bodies need whatever it is they need. You know, six hours, seven hours, whatever. But for many of us, many, many, many of us, the sleep needs go down a lot. What I say in my... Um, I shared this with somebody today. What I say before I go to bed... Um, is may my may I get as much sleep as I need for my body to be healed and my mind to be alert when I wake up so I can give my full heart into practice the next day. And then when I wake up, I wake up. You might experiment with that. Or sitting... Another area is sitting longer than the, the schedule. The bell rings. If you find yourself quite settled in and present without forcing it, see what happens. See what the second hour is like. You might find yourself fascinated and wanting to see what a third hour is like. That's not something that you can make happen and you know, be a macho meditator and just, you know, get gold stars. That's not how it works. And in fact, that's counterproductive. But if you find that you're curious and you're present and you're settled in, just see. Or the same with the walking. You can be doing the walking and really find yourself in a rhythm and notice, ah, the sitting has started, but I really am into this walking. Go for it. Walk for another period, or two, or three. There's no right or wrong in this. It's more trusting your intuition and letting yourself explore your edges. Same playing your edges with places that you usually shrink back in fear, whether it's strong emotions that come up. Something like, oh, fear coming up. Now, your mind might say, oh no, anything but that, I'll be overwhelmed. And you can always pull back. You can always turn your attention elsewhere. But to just touch it a little at a time, to not only allow it to be here and accept that it's here, but bring a curiosity to it that says, let's see, let's really see what this, what this is like. Let's see fear in the human condition just for a little period of time. Okay, for a half a minute or a minute. Let's just see. And the amazing thing is when you don't add that layer of aversion on top, in that acceptance and spaciousness, something very um, interesting starts to be revealed. That that solidity of that fear is not what you thought it was. And it's energy and changes into something else. Or if it doesn't, you can always back off. Or maybe boredom is your edge. And so there might be this urge to get up and do something a bit more interesting. Boredom 
is actually can be a very fascinating subject of meditation, believe it or not. I remember once uh, Trungpa Rinpoche gave this talk at Naropa Institute, uh, uh, the first, first few years at Naropa, and he gave his talk, he said, I will talk tonight about the breakthrough. And it was really, he got everybody's attention. The breakthrough in practice. And he went on and kind of meandered around, as he sometimes did, and went on and on. And it was, wasn't particularly exciting or interesting. You know. In fact, it started to be boring. And then he talked a bit more and more. And then finally, after about you know, an hour and a half of this, he said, the real breakthrough is boredom. And it was, it was very... It was a very powerful teaching because as he went on to say, we are so busy looking for some entertainment, something to grasp onto that makes it worthy of our attention that we don't allow ourselves to open up to what's here right now because we're afraid that we'll get stuck here. We're afraid that it just will be unbearable and we have to practice cultivating a sense of openness even with boredom. And as many of you probably have seen, boredom can change in a moment. As soon as you bring that investigative quality to it, or not as soon, but sometimes sooner or later. (laughs) Anyway, this whole spirit of playing your edge and having courage, the places that you usually hold back, brings a great vitality to practice. Something to remember about effort, as bright as it might be sometimes, you can't maintain any kind of level of effort. Like everything else, it's impermanent. You can't maintain a certain level of energy. Sometimes you have all the energy in the world and you feel like you're just, your senses are on fire and everything is quite so brilliant and you see it clearly. That cannot be maintained. And so not to think that you've lost it when you had it a little while ago. Some of you have heard me uh, talk about going into uh, Upandita, reporting to Upandita, and he would say, Tell me about your clearest sitting. And when I first heard this, I thought, clearest sitting or best sitting, I thought they're all supposed to be, you know, equal, not good, not bad, you know. But, you know, he he was giving the instructions, so I was following them. Okay, so I reported about my clearest sitting and I report well, this and this and this and this happened, you know, it sounded pretty good. But I, I put in this um, truth in advertising qualification at the end saying, uh, but you know, that was just one sitting out of the day. A, a lot of them weren't like that at all. And uh, went in the next day and he said, tell me about your clearest sitting. And did the same thing. You know, out of 24 hours, you're bound to have one clear sitting or relatively clear sitting. And again, I put that caveat in. And after like, you know, three or four times of doing that, he said, uh, you don't have to add that piece at the end. You don't have to tell me about how the other ones weren't, weren't as clear. I thought, oh, okay. And then I got it. He knows. 
He knew the other ones weren't that clear. And it wasn't like he was upset because that's the way the cycles of practice are. Sometimes you're clear and sometimes you're less clear. So you don't have to worry that the mindfulness changes or the concentration changes or that your effort isn't good enough. Just to put in that sincerity, that's, that's the key, as I said. So that brings us to one other aspect of this wholehearted effort, which is real surrender. Surrender to just what is. And that's the other, that's the more receptive aspect of this, this doing and really uh, giving it your whole, your whole heart to just relax and, and see what this moment reveals to you. And with that, we open up to great understanding. The way that the practice goes is out of intention or faith to make effort, the effort becomes strong. And the effort to be mindful leads to more moments of mindfulness. As the mindfulness gets stronger, it leads to greater concentration or focus and clarity. And with that clarity, there is an opening up to real wisdom. A wisdom that's born out of seeing clearly. Seeing that you aren't who you thought you were. That this sense of I and self is just an idea, a concept. Opening up to seeing the selfless nature of reality, the ungraspable nature of reality, the impermanent nature of reality. All from putting in a sincere, wise, balanced effort. So let's um, sit for a few moments. And again, with, with this sitting, to just let go of trying to make anything happen and just rest fully, opening up to what's here right now.
So, um, before we go walking, I want to uh, make an announcement, actually two announcements. One is that um, we did not have a metta yet today, and we will have it at the next sitting, and Sylvia will, will uh, lead the metta. So, that'll give you a little bit of an incentive to come. And the second is, after that last sitting, um, at 10 o'clock, I will lead a late night sitting for those who would like to join me. And uh, that can be the start of late night sittings throughout the retreat. Um, And don't think that when the sitting is over that you have to go to bed. You're welcome to stay as much as you'd like. Mm. Okay, so thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.